Good morning. Good morning. We have some announcements. This Wednesday we'll be feeding the homeless. Um, so we meet at a church up in Denver off of 9th and Calumet called His Love Fellowship. And we take the reusable grocery bags and fill them with food. And then we go out to the camps and, and deliver them. And we get to, to pray with people that are out there and just get to know them and let them know that they're not forgotten about, that they're loved. Um, so we'll do that on Wednesdays. We'll be doing that this Wednesday. The next women's Bible study is this Thursday, November 17th at 6 here at the house. The next men's Bible study is this Saturday, November 19th. It's the last one for the year. We'll finish up our book, The Twelve Ordinary Men. Are you guys going to finish up the women's? No. Well, no, we have two chats. I think we have ten. Well, because we missed the last time, so we'll have, no. Two, three, two after this one. No, one. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I can look. Well, at one time you talked about doing both chapters this week. Yeah, I wasn't well, sure if well, that's what you're thinking. We're going to try to finish it up before the, the new year. Okay. That sounds good. The next youth night will be after the first of the year. Does that sound good to you? coming up on the holidays. Mm -hmm. The schedules are going to get a little hectic. And then lastly, um, if you give me your email, we send out an email once a week letting you know what we're doing. Uh, or you can check it out on the website, thechurchne.org. There's a calendar there. Um, all the teachings are there. The slides, if you want to go back and look something up, they're all on the website. So um, it's a good resource for being in the know. So with that, we'll get started. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you, more about who you are, about how much you love us, how you care for us, how you guide us, how you provide for us, how um, in the midst of the storms, you're with us. You never leave us or abandon us when we ask you into our lives that you love us in a way that only you can. I'm thankful for all of that. I'm thankful for your love, your mercy, and your grace. I'm thankful for your sacrifice on the cross, for the forgiveness of each and every one of our sins. I ask that you would guide us here this morning, that you, your words would be spoken, not mine, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would um, lead us and guide us through this study, that you would watch over us, that you would um, encourage us, strengthen us, that you would help us to be a light and a witness to those around us this week, and that you would impact our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter Romans chapter 13. So this is probably one of the best things about going through the Bible chapter and verse. You don't get to skip over anything and you cover everything. So even the tough areas of Scripture, which we've gone through some, I think, difficult ones to understand, even the tough areas, we don't get to skip. Um, we go through them. And I don't think that God makes any mistakes in timing or there are no, I don't believe in coincidence. But we did just have an election on Tuesday. And 
today we are going to talk about governing authorities and who sets those up, who's the one that gives authority. And we're going to learn that it's God. God sets up authorities, he sets up the leaders, he's the one that gives them the authority that they have. Um, and then we're going to talk through that because there's some good authorities out there and there's some bad authorities. And if God's setting them all up, does that mean that God is, is bad? And the answer to that is no. Does that mean that God is a harsh God? And the answer to that is no. But like everything we've done, everything we've gone through, we can look at a few verses in the Bible and we can make a quick superficial judgment on God's character, on who he is. And if we do that, we could easily make the wrong decision, the wrong judgment on who God is, who his character is. Um, but when we look at the, all the Bible, from beginning of, the, of Genesis to the end of Revelation, then we get to see more of his character, and he explains who he is. So we can make these quick judgments, but we can oftentimes come to the wrong conclusion. Or we can study through the whole Bible and learn more about God more about who he is, his love for us, his love for this world, um, and his love for each of our hearts, each individual situation we're in, each of our, our lives, that he knows us, he cares for us, that when we ask him into our lives, he never leaves us or abandons us. So with all that, we'll get started. We'll be in Romans chapter 13, starting in verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So let's read that again, because this is important, and there's a lot going into this. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is a rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So this was written by Paul, the book of Romans, and is said to have been written somewhere around 57 AD. And during this time, there was an emperor in Rome. So it, it sounds like, I think there's many different ways that people look at this area of scripture. Well, yeah, to submit to governing authority, you know, when they're uh, a righteous authority, when they're following God, when they're doing, making good decisions, I'm to submit to them. Um, but this would not have been a very popular teaching during Paul's time. So during this time, there's an emperor named Nero. He ruled over Rome. He began, became the emperor in 54 AD and was emperor for 14 years until 68 AD. He became the emperor at age 16, um, and he was not a very good person at all. So Nero, after becoming emperor at age 16, um, through some manipulations of his mother, his mom still wanted some power over him, and he... Didn't like that, so he had her stabbed to death. So he murders his own mother. Um, then he goes on, his first wife, um, he finds, after getting married, kind of his mom pressured him into this marriage. He finds another person he likes, 
Um, so he has his first wife murdered. Um, and then goes on to marry again, this other person he likes, his second marriage. Again, that ends in murder. He ends up um, kicking her in the stomach while she was pregnant, killing both the baby and her. So that's the type of, of governing authority that's going taking place in Rome during this time when Paul's writing this. Um, Nero taxed the people heavily, um, was very narcissistic. He uh, is one that is blamed. There's a great fire in Rome during this time um, that burns like 10 of the 14 districts in Rome. Huge fire. And it's thought to have been set by Nero. Maybe not him personally setting it, but he conspired to set it. Because this cleared out a bunch of land in Rome and he could build his golden palace. He built a palace out of gold. Um, Nero's, Nero's reign would end in 68 AD when he would take his own life. Um, it finally got to the point where the, the Senate was going to vote him out and he saw it coming. So he took his own life in, in seeing that. If you look up Nero on the internet, he's seen as narcissistic. Um, debauchery is another word that comes up, and um, anti-Christian comes up. He persecuted the Christians very severely. I think he did it all throughout his reign, but especially after the fire in 64 AD. He blamed it on the Christians. A lot of people you know, thought it was him, so he wanted to take blame and blame it on the Christians and persecuted them heavily. So... This is, the, this is the man that's in charge, that's governing over the Jewish people during this time, when Paul is writing this. So this isn't to be thought of as, well, I'm up to obey authorities when they're acting right. Paul's writing about this with a man who is clearly not walking with God, right? But he's saying that we're to submit to these governing authorities. Nero did awful things to the Christians. Um, would cover them in animal skins and let wild animals tear them apart he would um, burn them alive letting them be be lights to to light up his garden um, crucify them he did all kinds of of awful things to them and that's who paul's writing about and so we don't the other person that writes about this too about submitting to governing authorities is peter so we're going to take a look at that in first peter chapter 2 verse 13. So you could make the argument, well, when Paul wrote this in the book of Romans, you said that was in 57 AD, somewhere around there, and this great fire and real great persecution from the Christians didn't come till 64 AD. Well, when Peter writes this, Peter, um, this is thought to have been written after this great fire. So after this great persecution starts on the Christians. Peter writes a similar thing. And it's, it's interesting, too, that both Peter and Paul, two leaders of the church, are, are killed. Paul is beheaded, and Peter is crucified upside down um, during Nero's reign. So during this reign of this, this evil man is when these two are, are, are killed. And they're still, during this time, are talking about submitting to governing authorities. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. For the Lord's sake, respect all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. 
So we've been over this um, before where God says to submit to governing authorities, you should have no fear if you're doing what is right. If you're doing what is wrong, you should fear them. And we kind of related that to when you're speeding down the road and you're looking around, when you're in fear, you're going to get in trouble. But when you're not speeding down the road, you're probably not looking around to see is there a police officer over the horizon or, or over that next hill that is going to catch me and write me a ticket, right? When we're doing what's right, we have no fear of being punished. When we're doing what's wrong, we do. So, Peter again says we're just respect all human authority. That, and he goes in to, to specify the king and the king's appointed officials. We're to respect them. And during this time, Peter wrote this, this is the time of the great persecution on the Christians. So this would not have been a very popular teaching at all. Who would want to hear this? That this evil man in Rome, you're to, to respect him? He's not respectable. He's not doing things that are honorable. He's lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, and we're to respect him. So that kind of sets the tone and puts it in perspective. Uh, the next one we'll go to, and you don't have to go there. It'll be up on the screen, is Titus chapter 3, verse 1. And again, this book of Titus is written by Paul. Oops, I missed that one. So Titus chapter 3, verse 1, this is written by Paul, and this is during the time of great persecution. After the great fire in Rome is when Paul wrote this. So the, the Christians are being persecuted heavily. Um, and Paul writes this. He says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officials. They should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. So he's writing this, remind them. So this is a common teaching for him. And now this great persecution has started by the, on the Christians. And he says, remember to submit to these governing officials. So he, these government that's been set up that is, is evil and wicked and doing awful things, they're still to be a light and a witness to them, is what Paul's saying. That we're all to be a light and a witness. We all can choose to be a good witness to the work that Jesus has done in our lives or not. Um, and we see this through Paul's life. Paul many times, the guys that Paul was in prison for most of his the life that while he's writing these books of the Bible. And you can see where the jailers become believers through Paul's example, right? So Paul is submitting to these governing authorities. He's being respectful to them, even though he's been wrongly accused, been imprisoned for false accusations. But still, Paul is respectful. And what happens? These jailers, these governing authorities come to know Jesus through Paul's example. So there's many reasons why God would tell us this. And when we look at it and say, well, I'm only going to submit to those, or I'm only going to respect those that are deserving respect, or um, that have earned that right to be respected. That's not what God's saying. He says respect them all, right? And submit to all governing authorities. So... That brings up some questions, at least in my mind, of, well, there's a lot of bad governing authorities. Um, how does that work that God put them in? What does that mean that God put them in place, right? Like, for example, this one of Nero. Well, God allowed that, or God gave him the authority. Um, but God also is long-suffering and is calling Nero, just like he calls all of us, to him. To, to follow him, to believe in him. And Nero has that choice to, to follow him or to reject him. Um, and that 
even when this sounds awful, this great persecution the Christians are going through, the church flourished during this time. During this persecution, the church was spread out, but their faith was strengthened. Um, and so while it seems impossible that God could have some good come out of this man leading Rome, God finds a way to turn that around for his good, for the good of his people, for the good of the gospel, for sharing the, the good news of Jesus with all those and it forced some of the Christians out of this area and, and, to, and to spread out further to more of the world. So while this sounds awful, God had a plan. Um, but let's see on this subject, let's go to, to John chapter 19. So this is the Gospel of John chapter 19, verse 10. And let's see what Jesus himself said about this. So John chapter 19, starting in verse 10. So at this point in Jesus' life, he's been arrested and he's before Pilate. Um, and the, the Jews are convincing Pilate to condemn him to death. Convincing, trying to convince Pilate to condemn Jesus to death. And Pilate's wrestling with this and he's questioning Jesus. And, and Jesus is... Is not arguing, not um, not defending himself. Is just silent before before these leaders, and then so that provokes a question by Pilate here in verse ten that we're about to read. So John nineteen verse ten, why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Then Jesus said. You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. So that first sentence that he speaks, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So even Jesus submitted to this. Even Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, submitted to this teaching that we're to submit to these governing authorities. He's submitting to this authority, and he's understanding that, that God, God's hand is at work. That God, while this situation on face value right in front of him seems bad, but God has a greater plan. And that God will work things out for the good of those who believe in him. So Jesus himself even says to, to submit to this, um, to submit to these governing authorities, but let's take a look at what does it mean that God has placed them there. What does that mean? And the best place to look at that, or one of the, well, there's quite a few places, but one is 1 Samuel chapter 8. So we're going to go through a few chapters here in 1 Samuel. So the way it worked in this Old Testament time, the way God had set up for his people to, to be governed was that God was their king. God Almighty was their king, and that God used judges that he would appoint to rule over the people. But the idea was that God would steer the nation, and that when conflicts arose, that the judges would come and seek God 
for a just decision on, on how to solve these conflicts and that God would render that decision through these judges. So God would use the judges to, to relay his messages to the people. But he would be their king. That's how it was set up. That's, that was his intent. But the people didn't like that. They wanted, they wanted a king. And they wanted a king because they wanted to be like the other nations. They looked over the fence and said, Oh, that looks better than what I have. That's what I want. God, you've gotten this wrong. We want a king. We want a king like all the other nations. We want to be just like them. But God had set them apart for a reason. He had a plan for them, but they weren't willing to, to submit to his plan. So we'll kind of pick up the story here. This is at the end. Samuel um, is a prophet and a, a judge over the nation of Israel. Um, but his sons are coming up and his sons are not just. They're not like Samuel. So the people are looking at the situation right in front of them saying, Oh God, you've made a mistake. These two are going to to rule over us or judge over us. And, and, and now we want, a, we want a king. We want to be like these other nations. Because they're looking at the, the here and now and they're not looking at the bigger picture, the lifetime picture, or in God's perspective, he's looking at the eternal picture, all of it. So we'll pick it up here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. So as Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons to be judges over Israel, Joel and Abijah. His oldest sons held court in Beersheba. But they were not like their father, for they were greedy for money. They accepted bribes and perverted justice. Finally, all the leaders of Israel met at Ramah to discuss the matter with Samuel. Look, they told him, you are now old and your sons are not like you. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for it is me they are rejecting, not you. They don't, want, they don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they have continually abandoned me and followed other gods. And now they are giving you the same treatment. Do as they ask, but solemnly warn them about the way a king will reign over them. So Samuel passed on the Lord's warning to the people who asked him for a king. This is how a king will reign over you, Samuel said. The king will draft your sons and sign them to his chariots and his charioteers, making them run before the chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced to plow his fields and harvest his crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king will take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields, vineyards, olive groves, and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys and for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks, and you will be his slaves. Then the day will come, you will beg for relief from this king. You are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, 
We still want a king, they said. We want to be like the other nations around us. Our king will judge us and lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated to the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord replied, do as they say and give them a king. Then Samuel agreed to send the, agreed and sent the people home. So here we read that we want a king to lead us into battle. Well, up until this point, God had been leading them in the battle. In the battle against the, all of their enemies. Um, that God had been leading the nation, and that's not what they wanted. They wanted a king like all the other nations. Um, so, we'll continue on here in chapter 9. There was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel son of Zephor, son of Becheroth, son of Aphethi, from the tribe of Benjamin. His son, Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. One day, Kish's donkey strayed away. He told Saul, take a servant with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul took one of the servants and traveled through the hill country of Ephraim, the land of Shashia, the Simile area, and the entire land of Benjamin. But they could not find the donkeys anywhere. Finally, they entered the region of Zuf. And Saul said to his servant, Let's go home. By now, my father will be more worried about us than the donkeys. But the servant said, I just thought of something. There is a man of God living here in town. He is held in high honor by all the people because everything he says comes true. Let's go find him. Perhaps he can tell us which way to go. But we don't have anything to offer him, Saul replied. Even our food is gone and we don't have a thing to give him. Well, the servant said, I have one small piece of silver. We can at least offer it to the man of God and see what happens. In those days, if people wanted a message from God, they would say, let's go ask the seer, for prophets used to be called seers. All right, Saul agreed, let's try it. So they started to the town where the man of God lived. As they were climbing the hill in town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. So Saul and his servants asked, Saul and his servant asked, is the seer here today? Yes, they replied. Stay right on this road. He is at the town gate. As he has just arrived to take part in the public sacrifice up at the place of worship. Hurry and catch him before he goes up there to eat. The guests won't begin eating until he arrives to bless the food. So they entered the town, and as they passed through the gate, Samuel was coming out toward them to go up to the place of worship. Now the Lord had told Samuel the previous day, About this time tomorrow, I will send a young man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him to be their leader of my people. He will rescue them from the Philistines, for I have looked down on my people in mercy and have heard their cry. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said, That's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, Can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. 
Go up to the place of worship ahead of me. We will eat together, and in the morning I will tell you what you want to know, and send you on your way. And don't worry about those donkeys that were lost three days ago, for they have been found. I am here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all Israel's hopes. Saul replied, But I am only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel, and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant to the hall and placed them at the head of the table, honoring them above the 30 special guests. Samuel then instructed the cook to bring Saul the finest cut of meat, the piece that had been set aside for the guest of honor. So the cook brought the meat and placed it before Saul. Go ahead and eat it, Samuel said. I was saving it for you even before I invited the others. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the place of worship, they returned to town. Samuel took Saul up to the roof of the house and prepared a bed for him there. At daybreak the next morning, Samuel called Saul. Get up. It's time you were on your way. So Saul got ready, and he and Samuel left the house together. When they reached the edge of town, Samuel told Saul to send his servant ahead. After the servant was gone, Samuel said, Stay here, for I have received a special message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil, poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I am doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. When you leave me today, you will see two men beside Rachel's tomb at Zelah on the border of Benjamin. They will tell you that the donkeys have been found and that your father has stopped worrying about them and is now worried about you. He is asking, have you seen my son? When you get back to the Oak of Tabor, you will see three men coming toward you who are on their way to worship God at Bethel. At Bethel. One will bring three young goats, another have three loaves of bread, and the third will be carrying a wineskin full of wine. They will greet you and offer you two of the three loaves which you are to accept. When you arrive at Gibeah of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, you will meet a band of prophets coming down from the place of worship. They will be they will be playing a harp, a tambourine, a flute, and a lyre, and they will be prophesying. At at that time the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them. You will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done, for God is with you. Then go down to Gilgal ahead of me. I will join you there to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. You must wait seven days until I arrive and give you further instructions. So... As Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, they saw a group of prophets coming towards them. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul, and he too began to prophesy. 
When those who knew Saul heard about it, they exclaimed, What? Is even Saul a prophet? How did this son of Kish become a prophet? And the one of those standing there said, Can anyone become a prophet no matter who his father is? So that the origin of the saying, Is even Saul a prophet? When Saul had finished prophesying, he went up to the place of worship, where... Have you been? Saul's uncle asked him and his servant. We were looking for the donkeys, Saul replied, but couldn't find them anywhere. So we went to Samuel to ask him where they were. Oh, and what did he say? His uncle asked. He told us that the donkeys had been found, Saul replied. But Saul didn't tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingdom. Later, Samuel called all the people of Israel to meet before the Lord at Mizpah, and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, has declared. I brought you from Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians and from all the nations that were oppressing you. But though I have rescued you from your misery and distress, you have rejected your God today and have said, No, we want a king instead. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and clans. So Samuel brought the tribes before Israel, the tribes of Israel before the Lord, and the tribe of Benjamin was chosen by Lot. Then he brought each family from the tribe of Benjamin before the Lord, and the family of Matris was chosen. And finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen from among them. But when they looked at him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? And the Lord replied, He is hiding among the baggage. <coughs> so they found him and brought him out, and he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Then Samuel said to the people, This is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all of Israel is like him. And all the, pro- all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people what the rights and duties of a king were. He wrote them down on a scroll and placed them before the Lord. Then Samuel sent the people home again. So that was a long story, but what we learned is that that God didn't want Israel to have a king. But God gives us the desires of our hearts, and we've been over this. If we have a heart, we want to choose to live a life separate from God, to reject God, that, that he will grant us the desires of our hearts. And if we choose to live that life all the way till the end of our lives, then what we'll have is we'll have eternity separate from God. And he gives us the desires of our hearts, but that's not what his desire is. His desire is that all of us would repent and come to know him. So our desires and his desires don't always align, but he always gives us the desires of our hearts. So here, the nation of Israel had a desire for a king. That wasn't what God's plan was, but still, God gave them the desires of their hearts. And God is the one that chose Saul. And he chose Saul. He anointed Saul. He gave Saul his, his Holy Spirit to guide him. And Saul went on to, to lead the nation of Israel. But then Saul would become greedy and, and choose to walk away from God. And that was the reason that God didn't want them to have a king. But even though that wasn't God's original plan, he still appointed Saul to rule over them. Um, because that was the best outcome for the nation of Israel. For God to show his hand. So God has a hand in it, even though it wasn't his original plan, if that makes sense. Long, long story to go over that. <laughs>
Uh, there is another story in Isaiah chapter 45. And this is a story of a king who is, does not know God. Um, but God is going to use him to serve his purpose. And this is one of my favorite favorite stories. This is um, this is a story of Cyrus. Um, Cyrus is known as the the king of Persia. So at this point in the nation of Israel, they've sinned, and one of the things that God does is He brings the Babylonians and the Assyrians in to um, siege and, and overtake the nation of Israel, and. And now at the end of that, that was kind of God's punishment or his judgment on them. Now at the end of that, so God raised up the, those nations, Babylon and Assyria. But now at the end of that, God has raised up Cyrus, the king of Persia, to free his people and to restore them. So God has a plan and a purpose, and he's using these governments and, and these people of an authority to fulfill out his plan and purpose. And I think... But the best way to describe it is it's like God's playing chess with every person. And, and he's, he knows every move that they're going to make. So he's got an infinite number of chess games going on. And he knows what decisions everyone's going to make and what moves they're going to make. But ultimately, he's going to, to work that all out for his will to be accomplished. And his will is that everyone would come to know his son, Jesus. That everyone would have that opportunity. That's his will. And that's why it's set up. And it doesn't always get set up in a way that we think it should or in a way that's good. Um, but God is able to use all of that to point us to his son, Jesus. So here we're going to read about Cyrus. So the nation of Israel is, is enslaved. Um, and God sends this king Cyrus of Persia to free them. And does it in a way that only he can. So, Isaiah chapter 45. This is what the Lord says to Cyrus, his anointed one, whose right hand he will empower. Before him, mighty kings will be paralyzed with fear. Their great gates will be opened, never to shut again. This is what the Lord says. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains. I will smash down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches. I will do this so you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. And God does this, writes the, the book of Isaiah is written about 200 years before Cyrus is even born. God's calling him by name, that this man Cyrus would do this work. And why have I called you for this work? Why did I call you by name when you didn't even know me? It is for the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen one. I am the Lord. There is no other God. I have equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know that there is no other God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up the heavens and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay part argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you are doing it wrong? 
Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says. O Holy One of Israel and your Creator, do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work in my hands? The work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live in it. With my hands, I stretch out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose, and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and free my captive people without seeking reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So God sets up Cyrus, and he sets him up to do his will, to free his people, to restore his nation in a way that only God can. Um, and, and God kind of makes it clear, when we've been over this, when we went through the story of Job, that, that good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. Um, that good things come and bad things come to all of us. But that's not always a sign that God's mad at us or that he's rejected us. No, we saw in Job's life that, that God loved Job and that he was allowing Job to be tested, allowing his faith to be tested, but that there was a plan and a purpose for that testing. So, so God, we saw what happens that not all authority was God's original plan, like Saul. Saul was not God's original plan, and Saul would go on to lead the nation um, negatively. He started off really good, but would lead the nation negatively. Here we read that Cyrus, God raised up Cyrus to do his work. Cyrus doesn't even know God, doesn't even know anything about him, but God called him by name 200 years before he was born to do his work. Um, but I do want to take a look at what about authorities that don't obey God. So if God's placed them there, he's long-suffering, gives them the opportunity to obey him, but what happens when they don't? And for that, we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. And we're going to look at a few, we'll jump around a few places, a few more places, and then we'll get back to Romans and finish up a few verses. So Zechariah, so Zechariah is kind of at the end of the Old Testament, a couple of books before Matthew. So Zechariah chapter 1, verse 14. Then the angel said to me, Shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong, but I am very angry with the other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people, but the other nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions. So God raised up these other nations um, as a punishment to Israel. Israel has abandoned God. And, but what God is saying here is that those nations inflicted harm far beyond what his intentions were, far beyond his judgment. So they, while God may raise up these authorities and these leaders and give them their authority, 
That doesn't always mean that they're walking with God, that they're listening and obeying him. He's calling them for a purpose. Um, but he, And he's long-suffering. He allows them many opportunities to turn to him. But that's not always the case. Um, and when that doesn't happen, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. So that's, there's times when that doesn't happen, when people don't um, follow God. And we could go into it, but we've gone into quite a few lengthy stories already. But Nebuchadnezzar is another one. Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. He's ruling over the nation of Israel. The, um, Bab- the Babylonians have taken over Israel. He's ruling over them. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is one that was during the the three men that were thrown into the fir- the fiery furnace because they didn't worship Nebuchadnezzar, and but they didn't die. And Nebuchadnezzar looks at the furnace and says, I see four men in there, and one looks like the Son of God. So Jesus was with these three men in the fire. Um, but that's the, the man, Nebuchadnezzar. He chooses to reject God, um, and God chooses to remove him. But there's a long story that goes into that. God also removes him for a temporary time. For seven years, he sends, God sends him out into the wilderness as a crazy man that ran around on all fours eating grass until he acknowledged who God was. And then God brought him back. But here we read um, about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has and Daniel's answer to that. So, Daniel chapter 2, verse 20. He said, Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events, and he removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. So while he's long-suffering, it's only to a point. He removes kings and sets up other kings. So God has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. God is the, the ultimate chess player, playing the game of chess with each person. But no one is, is going to outsmart God or is going to be beyond God's um, hand or screw anything up beyond what God is going to steer in the right direction. So we've kind of looked at some different things of different kings that God set up, but not necessarily his original plan, um, but still sets them up, gives people the desires of their hearts. He gives all of us the desires of our hearts. We've looked at kings that he's removed. We've looked at kings that he's raised up to, to um, punish his people, to bring judgment on them. But we've also looked at kings and nations that he's raised up to free his people, to um, restore them as well. So God has a plan and a purpose for all that goes on. And while it's hard to see what's, other than just what's in front of us, God is asking us to respect authority respect those around us, obey them until it becomes conflicting with God's laws. And we'll go over that here quickly. So Romans, back to Romans, Romans chapter 13, verse 3. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of authorities? Do what is right and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants, sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. 
They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So here we read that that God has set up these authorities to punish those who do what is wrong. Um, And to, when you're doing what is right, that's not, you have nothing to fear. Um, God has set that up. Does that mean that all these people do exactly what God says? No. And we got, if we would have kept reading with Saul, we see where God gave Saul his spirit and Saul received that and started off his career as king of Israel following God, but he would turn away from God. So it doesn't mean that all these people are doing what God's asked them to do. While God may set up the authorities and the governments, that doesn't mean that they're obeying and doing his work, if that makes sense. So continue on Romans 13 verses 5 and 6. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes too. For these same reasons, for government workers need to be paid. They are serving God in what they do. So this is an interesting concept. When God had his nation set up before kings, there was no taxes. You weren't paying tax to the government. You had a, uh, you were to give to God, but God, and God would take care of the rest. So it's an interesting concept. Now you've asked for a king, you want a king, okay, but now you have to pay your taxes to that king. And that if you're going to honor God, you have to pay your taxes. You have to follow what they've set up. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22. We'll be here for quite a few verses if you want to turn there. But God is going to explain um, a few things to us. So before we get to the, there's one last verse in Romans chapter 13, 7. Before we get to that, we want to set the stage up for what does this mean. So here in Matthew 22, um, we're going to read what Jesus teaches about his commands. So Matthew 22, starting here in verse 15. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their, some of their disciples along with supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now tell us what you think about the... Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So if Jesus answers yes, then the people will be upset with him because nobody wants to pay taxes. And if Jesus says no, don't pay taxes to Caesar, then he could be arrested. They're trying to trap him. They think they've got him all figured out. They're so much smarter than him. And his answer is amazing. So Jesus said, But Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply amazed them and they went away. 
So God makes it clear here. We're to pay our taxes. We're to give to Caesar, to give to the government what belongs to them. And we're to give to God what belongs to him. And at that time, you had Roman coins and you paid Roman tax. And you also had um, silver pieces that you would pay um, a tithe to God with. So you give to God what's God's and you give to, to Rome what is Rome's. It was his reply. We'll jump down to verse 35 and we'll see what else he has to say about what our commands are. So here again, they're trying to trap him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So they ask him, well, what's the most important law out of all these laws that we have? And, and there's many laws in the book of Moses. There's, I think, over 600. And they're trying to, well, which one's the most important? And he sums it up. He says, the first one's the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we love God. We love our neighbors. And then they would challenge him further. And he would go on to define that your neighbor is everyone around you. So love God. Love everyone around you. Love yourself. When you've done that, you've summed up all of the commandments. So... We don't have to go here. We'll only be here for a quick moment. But First John chapter 5, verse 1. So everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We went over this last week. But we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means keeping his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats evil in this world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those that believe Jesus is the Son of God. So we learned that Jesus summed up all the commands into two. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. Love everyone around you. Love yourself. When you do, you've done that, you've kept all the law. And if you want to know, well, what's the definition of loving God? The definition of loving God is obeying what he says. So when he says to submit to authorities, we're to obey that. Um, so now we might not be ruled by an evil emperor like the, the Israelites were in the time of Rome, but just having an election, I don't think that this is a coincidence. So the other important thing before we move on though, is that every child of God defeats evil in this world. And we become a child of God when we receive Jesus into our lives, right? Only those that believe that Jesus is the son of God. Those are the ones who are his children. And that when you receive Jesus into your life, that he never leaves you, he never abandons you. And receiving Jesus is as simple as believing that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, that he rose again from that death, and that he is seated at God's right hand. And if you believe that and you ask him into your life, 
He never leaves you. He never abandons you. He never goes away. And that you are now God's child. And that God will watch over you. That there's many promises in the Bible. Um, but the most important promises are reserved for God's children. And those are the promises of eternal life in paradise with him. That's number one. And that God will work out all things for your good. Um, so that means that not everything is going to be good in your life, but God will work it for good. Um, even when it's hard to see, even those tough situations, that God will turn those things around for your good. When you ask to receive him, and when you ask him into your life, when you say, God, I believe that you, Jesus, I believe you are God, that you died for me, and I want to follow you. That's as simple as it is. When you've done that, you become God's children, a child of God, and you are reserved all the promises that we read about through, the, through his word. So now, this last verse in Romans 13, 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. So this is not, still is not a popular message. But I would say to you that this looks something in our lives for what we're going through now. They give respect and honor to those who are in authority. That we're to pay our taxes. So if we have some scam to get around paying taxes, that we're not obeying God. You can't claim to be a, a Christian who loves God and not pay your taxes. But also this last sentence here and give respect and honor to those who are in authority so if you claim to be a christian and you have a let's go brandon sign in your yard you are not being a loving christian and you are not showing love for god that you cannot disrespect authority no matter what your personal opinion is remember paul and peter told us to respect these authorities and these were very unworthy people of that respect but it didn't matter. They still commanded it because it came from God. And so now we have someone who we may not honor or feel deserves that honor and respect, but we're commanded by God to show that honor and respect. And that how we talk, how we treat others, should be we should be a light and a witness to Jesus. So yes, if you have a let's go Brandon sign, does that mean you're not a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Does that mean that you're not a good Christian? Yes, I am saying that. You're not a good Christian when you choose to show disrespect and honor to those who God has placed in authority over your life, whether they deserve it in your opinion or not. So that is kind of the, the big takeaway from all of this. That we can look at things superficially right in front of us, or we can look and trust that God has a bigger picture, an eternal picture in mind, and that you never know what God is, is working um, behind the scenes and that when we want to judge things or judge God's character we oftentimes can judge wrongly but when we want to look at his whole word everything that he does we can judge and still come to the conclusion that he is a very loving God that he sent his son to die for each and every one of our sins no matter who we are he loves us that much and that he will never leave us or abandon us when we ask him into our lives and when we ask him into our lives that we become his children and now we have eternal um, an eternal life in paradise promised to us with him. And then we also have the promise that he'll work out all these things in our life that aren't good for good, somehow, some way, in his timing. And his timing is always different than ours. So 
That's the end of the study. It was a little long. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine. So, do you have any questions? Just a comment. Okay. Just to confirm, it doesn't mean, well, I think you cleared that up. If somebody has a sign like that, it doesn't mean they're not a Christian. No, that doesn't mean they're not a Christian. And I also... But you can't make the claim as a Christian, oh, I love Jesus, and have that sign in your yard. Because that contradicts what the Bible says. Because God makes it very clear that we're to respect those people in authority. And during and the whole point of tying it real back to like the Roman times is that Nero definitely did not deserve respect. And Nero's reign is the reign that put Paul and Peter to death. You know, and, and so for those men to write that, and, and, and I think you can see that both of them knew that was coming in their lives. So for them to write that, knowing that this government would be the ones that would ultimately kill them, that's pretty huge, and that's a far cry from what we're going through, you know, so as a nation. Like, you're a Christian, and you have that, like, if you do have that sign in your yard, or if you don't, you can be called, like, a bad Christian per se, but there's a point, is there, like, a certain point of respect where you respect authorities, even if they're threatening your family per se? That's a great question. So, yes, um... What we're told is we're told if we want to follow Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you'll deny yourself. You'll pick up your cross and follow me, right? So denying yourself um, is usually something I don't want to do. Picking up their cross is some kind of work that they don't want to do. But the last thing is follow Jesus. And that's the three go together. If you want to follow Jesus, there's kind of the steps. If you want to be his disciple, you, you follow him. So we follow him, and he's told us to obey authority even when it's unjust, but it's all the way up until a point, until the point that it contradicts what God says. We didn't get to go there today, but um, the story of Daniel makes that very clear. So this King Nebuchadnezzar is, has come up with this idea that, oh, no, it wasn't Nebuchadnezzar. This king at the time has come up with this idea that he, he and him alone can only be worshipped. Um, and yes, it was Nebuchadnezzar. And that's how the three men ended up in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down and worship him. Because now they've given respect to the king and, and his authority, but now he's crossed a line where he's contradicted God's word. So now, no, they're not going to do that. And they, they go into this fiery furnace. Again, later it happens with another king in Daniel where you weren't allowed to pray to anyone except for the king. Okay, well, that's against God's word. We're only to pray to God. So Daniel doesn't follow that. He continues to pray to God, and he gets caught, and they throw him into the lion's den. But God protects him, and he doesn't get killed. So we're to follow and obey this authority all the way up until the point where it contradicts God's word. So does that make sense? And I think that's what gets confusing, because even, like, well, like our government, it's like, I, I understand that we're supposed to respect that authority, but... Well, so another good example is is abortion. So a, yeah, exactly. a lot of our government officials will say that abortion is okay. And that's a lot of what drives our voting now, I would right. say, as a Christian, is where do they stand on the, the ideas of abortion. So abortion is wrong. Abortion is murder, right? But God is bigger than that. And, and anyone, who, any child who's been aborted is in heaven. And we know that from the, another story in the, with David, um, King David at the time, and, and he has a child that dies, and he makes it very clear that the child's in heaven. And so that's one of the places you can go to understand that all of children that die earlier are in heaven. 
but you have this idea of abortion, so we have government officials that support this that contradicts God's word, right? But you also, to put it in context, you had Nero, this man who was murdering Christians, but we're still told these men are writing to respect him. Well, how can you respect him when he's murdering Christians, right? How do you get to that point? Well, you show honor and respect to that person, whether they deserve it or not, because God's commanded us to. Now, we don't align ourselves with all the ideas or all the things that they're doing, right? But we're still respectful and honoring to what they do. That doesn't mean that we align ourselves with them or we agree with all they're doing, but we can absolutely be respectful. So we can, how we talk in our family, you know, am I being respectful and honoring to a, a president who I don't align with? And do my kids see that example? Or am I being disrespectful to them thinking it's okay, God's justifying this because they're, they've had this sin in their life. And that's not what God's saying. We respect and honor them. We don't put up those signs. We don't talk bad about our, our president. Now we can talk about policies like abortion and say, no, this is wrong. And this is what God's word says. Does that kind of make sense? So there's, well, two comments. This comes just from like your application part because I have read this before and it, it is, yeah. So are there times when we should not obey the government? We should not allow the government force us to disobey God. Yes. That's so end of story. Yeah. Yeah, done. The, so, do you have to be able to separate it out? You can't yeah, be an overarching thing. I'm, I have my own feelings, but what? how I got through the not this last, not midterm, but the last election, there was very passionate things going on, and I said, well, here's how, here's how we see it, and Matt and I have talked about it. I'm not voting on the president. I'm voting on the policy. Um, and we're all going to have people in, in position of power that we're not going to absolutely agree with. Maybe even hardly any of them, what they do. Like, none of it. However, what we've talked about even with our kids, and they, they know who we, we like and don't like for policy reason, but we don't... Um, well, I've done it. You've been pretty good at it. I'm, I'm pretty passionate when it comes to some politics, um, but I try to reel it in and bring it back to, like, you know, I, I don't have to necessarily love that person in the office. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I have to have a respect. Kind of like police officers oh, or yeah. anything like that. We have to obey the law. Yeah. Like, we have to... we. I, I really respect the police officers. I, I respect the people that they put them in authority for a reason. So. And even if they're unjust, you still show them respect, even in that situation. If yeah. you're in a situation where they're dealing with a police officer and they're acting unjustly, you still are respectful to them, right? Yeah. It's, it's still a, a yes sir, yes ma'am thing, even though you're upset with them or disagree with them. That's what we're talking about, and that's what God is saying. Yeah. He's not saying you align with them or you don't partake in, in the wrong things they're doing. You don't say it's okay, but you are respectful to them, no matter who they are. And it's, it's a yes or yes, ma'am. The I let's go Brandon signs are completely disrespectful, so that's a great sign. sign. It doesn't oh, yeah. Mean I don't love them. oh, yeah, and it doesn't mean it that has, they're bad no... people. It just means they're not respecting the authority that God's put in place. And then you're questioning, well, God, you've made a mistake. You've put the wrong person in, in power. 
But God never makes mistakes. He has a plan and purpose a for it all. For this. We just, oh, yeah. we, it's all going to kind of come out. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, but we can choose. I know how they feel. So <laughs> yeah. But we can choose to be respectful. I might respectful. align myself with their policies that they're thinking. Yeah. But for we sure. choose to respect them. It's this yes, sir, yes, ma'am mentality. But Even when they're. We disagree with them. Yes. yes. But confirming, yes. just so I. Because I, I think you said it before you, you caught yourself after. They are Christians. Yeah. If they say they're a Christian, they are a Christian. Yeah. It's yes. just they're probably not thinking clearly or well, having the respect before they put that. There's anger and oh, yeah. frustration and it's how they're... But they're looking at the here and now what's right in front of them and not trusting that God has a bigger picture, a bigger plan yeah. in, in place. And it, I just can't more than enough times go back to, to this idea of Nero and this awful evil man that's ruling while these men are writing this. Yeah. this God has told them what to write down. This would not be a popular message at the time. More so even unpopular than today. Well, talking about it. And just to put it in a little... So it's... And my opinion is too. It's okay to put up a sign to say who you are for. Yeah. Like if oh, you yeah. say, I'm for Jesus. I'm for Trump. I'm for Biden. That's okay. We, we talk about it on both sides. I've, I've seen it on both sides. I think it's pretty, pretty unrealistic for somebody to say, well, I can put this sign in my yard, but I'm going to go take that sign out of their yard. We still live in a free country. Everybody has that. So, yeah. Another way to put it is, so Paul is in prison. Paul is one that writes the book of Romans. He's in prison at this time and, and has been beaten many times and had many bad things happen to him. But Paul is still being respectful. Even with these these prison guards that are treating him harshly, is still being respectful to them. Yeah. That makes sense. It's still a yes sir, yes ma'am mentality even though they're doing all these awful things to him. Yeah. And then many of them come to know Jesus because of how Paul was acting. So we have these bad things in our lives that are happening, but we can choose to be respectful to the people in authority, even when it's unjust, they're using their power unjustly. And the whole point is that you're a light and witness that we would point people to Jesus. Because no one in their right mind would be respectful to someone who's treating them unjustly, right? Well... When you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to be set apart. You're going to be different. And you have that ability yeah. to be that light and witness. And that's what it, the whole point of it is. That's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So God makes it clear you love him, his t- neighbors, yourself. And you cho- show that by obeying his commands. Mm-hmm. So choosing to be respectful. Yes. Yep. You can keep it if you want. Sure.